0: Now, to get through this without choking up toward the end will be amazing, but I'll try. I met Jeanette through music at the very end of March 1968, right after she returned from spring break and, as I later learned, had been completely sworn off of men. I was a graduate assistant in music and conducting my first band rehearsal at the University of Denver. As usual, the flutes sit in the front row and Jeanette immediately captured my attention. We spoke after that rehearsal, and the pursuit was on. Lengthy chats led to lengthy dates, and we learned that we shared similar small-town values, views on religion, views on politics, and desires to explore beyond our limited upbringings. We just seemed to enjoy being together. In August of 1968, I proposed to her in the romantic setting of the front seat of my Chevy Camaro, in front of a Denver theater where I was rushing off to play on a, a repertory performance of Fiddler on the Roof. Not wanting to hurry things too much, we decided to get married three months later <coughs> on November 30th, 1968. It was an eight-month courtship that brings us here today, 50 years later. We have always valued most our commitment to support the desires, goals, and aspirations that we each have as individual human beings without the pressure of societal norms, traditions, or expectations. We have been blessed to have a wonderful only son, who has in turn blessed us with his marriage to a beautiful only daughter, now our daughter-in-law, and a stunningly beautiful, now five-year-old, only granddaughter. We are happiest when we can be together constantly, but we were apart for some extended weeks for two years when I taught at an American school in the Dominican Republic. During those times when I was alone, I carried these two writings from Rumi with me in my wallet. I ended up reading them every day. They strongly represent some of my feelings toward our relationship, and I'd like to share you with them this morning as part of our reading one. From Jalaluddin Rumi, Songs of Divine Love, Love Search. The minute I heard my first love story, I started looking for you, not knowing how blind that was lovers don't finally meet somewhere they're in each other all along and my beloved know that my beloved is hidden from everyone know that she's beyond belief of all beliefs know that in my heart she's as clear as the moon know that she's a life in my body and my soul
1: in a moment i'll be reading first corinthians 13 with which i chose Asked Nicholas if I could read, because that was one of the readings at our wedding. And it really is, the passages in that are really the roadmap, I think, for a great marriage. Rob and I tried to practice those truths about love over our 50 years. We failed many times, but we always reassessed. We talked. We recommitted to work on the issues at hand, because we knew that we were better together than apart. We tried to be patient with each other and focus on what we loved about each other, not what frustrated us. We always came back to remembering why we knew we were right for each other. And frankly, we were just plain lucky. You know, we were very young. When we got married, we were immature. We fell in love, as Rob said, through our music and our shared values. And that never changed throughout the years, even as our lives began to evolve and change. But fortunately, we grew together and grew in the same direction. We've always respected each other, supported each other's interests and talents, and given each other lots of space. From the moment I met him, I knew that Rob was a little different from any of the other guys that I'd dated. As he said, I'd just gotten back from spring break, and I really had said, no more, no more guys. Can't, you know, don't need him. And uh, I, I'd kind of sworn off of him. My, my father had actually let me drive to Mazatlan with a girlfriend as long as we had a guy with us, and he let us drive in my convertible. Pre-cell phones, by the way, remember? Um, I had, uh, but anyway, the first day that I got back of the new semester, I did meet Rob, and I told my roommate, here's a guy that's just, I knew it was different from anybody else. And I wanted to find a partner who combined the kindness and the smarts and the wisdom, the quiet demeanor, the talent, the good looks, and the sense of humor of my father and my brother and my dear cousin, and I did. I'm deeply grateful for the life that I've been able to share with Rob. He makes me laugh. He listens most of the time. (laughs) He is a guy. Uh, He keeps me sane and balanced, and I love being with him. He's my best friend. We laugh and cry and and dream together. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, Face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love.
2: That's lovely. So we're celebrating 50 years of marriage. I've called this enduring love, but I'm also delighted to be able to announce an engagement. Here today. And Bruce and Tracy, would you please stand up? Have got engaged today. So I'd like to say many congratulations. Absolutely delighted uh, to be able to announce that. So we've got the beginning, next 50 years for you. We'll see you in 50 years' time. You'll be able to do that. But anyway, on behalf of us all, we want to say we just hope your engagement is a fantastically happy one and really look forward to your marriage. And, And many congratulations. Uh, from all of us. It's nice to the beginning and uh, as as well as the 50 years. And I love that that reading. Uh, It's amazing how everybody thinks that the Bible is so complicated uh, and obscure. But this is so simple, that reading from 1 Corinthians 13. And it makes so much sense. And as well as celebrating Rob and Jeanette today, it's appropriate to have that reading at this time of Advent, Because in Advent, what we're waiting for is that enduring love that the Christ represents that will take us through into eternal life. It's the entering into that uh, eternal life through that love. And a few weeks ago, I was talking about gratitude during our service on Thanksgiving. I was talking about gratitude being the door through which we enter into the sacrament of the present moment. So gratitude is the door. When we're grateful, it opens up a door into the present moment. Without that appreciation for the present moment, without that gratitude, your life tends to become a film that you observe. You look at it, but there's a disconnection that you can't quite put your finger on. Somehow life seems to be passing you by. You're living for what might come next. It's all in your head, like a film. Whereas when you stop and are grateful for what's there, you then enter into the present moment. Life becomes more real, and it's not just in your head. And when life becomes real like that, you're really entering into the context of love. You enter by the present moment, into the context of love. Because love is the foundation of all things. It's not money. It's not power. It's not quarks. But love. Love is the essence of creation. It is defined, I define love as self-giving without the expectation of reward. Self-giving without the expectation of reward. An impulse to create that has no thought but for the creation itself. Which is why we say creation is an act of love. In the universe, in the beginning, the universe came into being through an act of love. Somehow. There's no reward expected for creation. There's no to be paid to God. However, we are having a financial end-of-year push. And if you want to contribute to that, we'd be very grateful for that. No, seriously. We're here through an act of love. We didn't ask to be here. And nothing's asked of us once we're here. It, it is a creation out of love. And now that we're here entering into the present moment through that gratitude, once we enter into the present moment through that gratitude, we can choose the way that we want to live our lives. When you're there, when you're absolutely present, you can then choose how you want to live your life. Most of the world lives out of a context of extraction. We try to extract as much out of life as we can while giving as little as possible. That's that's the plant way, that's the animal way, and by and large, that is the human way. It is a way of life that is unconscious of a bigger context, a context that goes beyond survival, acquisition, and dominance, a context that's beyond that, beyond survival, acquisition, and dominance. And that bigger context is the context of love. It is the recognition that we and everything around us is created by love. That it is all here without cost. And that therefore to live within the context of love is to have the attitude that our role in life, our role in life is to be a conduit for that love. Freely we received and therefore freely we give. Freely we receive that love and freely we give. That's what Jesus said in Matthew. That is the essence of the currency of love. We become love and we give love freely to all those around us, which is very different from the way of the world where we're all trying to get what we can. And that's okay because to enter into the currency of love is to evolve from that, to evolve from a consciousness of acquisition to something else. It is humanity taking itself forward to the next step of evolution the evolution of consciousness into a loving context. That's what the great spiritual teachers were about. Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, Lao Tzu, Gandhi, they are all living that context of love. And we're faced with the choice of that revolutionary and evolutionary step Day by day as we live our lives, we're faced with that choice to live in that context of love rather than the context of acquisition. It said in that reading, if I give all I possess to the poor and give my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That is the currency, the unfailing currency of love. And, And that's what we're about here in the chapel. So, of course, the question is, how do we go about that in our daily lives? And I've called this uh, service today Enduring Love because there is an aspect of endurance about it. There's an aspect of endurance about it. The word endure literally means to undergo or suffer, to undergo or suffer, especially without breaking. It also means to continue in existence. To endure is to continue in existence. And that's really what's needed to keep in the currency of love. And it's what is needed for marriage. As Rob said, someone did say in the past, what's the secret of a long marriage? The answer, not getting divorced. And there is a part of that in the idea of enduring love. You're willing to love in the face of suffering. You're willing to love in the face of suffering. I said last week that our ability to transform our pain and suffering through seeing it in the light of a greater spirit is our purpose in life. The ability to transform our pain and suffering through seeing it in the light of a greater spirit is our purpose in life. It is our contribution. That what I would call emotional photosynthesis that takes our pain and transforms it into love is the unique contribution that we all have to make. And it gives meaning to our pain and suffering. It is the only way that we can, we can transform the world. Everything else is moving the furniture around. If we had no pain, there would be no transformation. There would be no creation. So that malaise that we often feel, whatever it is, be it fear, upset, regret, or depression, whatever it is, that is the raw material we have for making a difference in the world. That is the raw material that we have for making a difference in the world. And there is the sense that love is something that makes us face the pain we feel. There's a sense that love makes us us face the, the pain that we feel. In the context of extraction, the other context that involves survival, acquisition and dominance, you want to get rid of your pain. So you blame others for the problems that you face. It's her fault that I feel like this. It's his fault. It's their fault that our country's in a mess. You blame others, a person. You blame a race. You blame a group. To live in the currency of love is to be willing to take those feelings and instead give love in return. Emotional photosynthesis. Plants take the heat from the sun and turn it into sugar. And that's what's known as photosynthesis. It enables carbon dioxide and water to become oxygen, and that gives us life. Huge rainforests all over the world help keep the planet oxygenated. And in the same way, we have the capability of taking all those negative emotions, anger, fear, sadness, and taking in the pain that we feel and then giving out love. Emotional photosynthesis enables us to take pain and not project it onto others but to convert it into love. And like trees it happens one person at a time and it is our true role as evolved human beings. That's the process that enables the planet to be transformed. In fact that's how in fact that's how world peace will come about. Meeting fear and anger and hatred and pride and all forms of pain with love is really just another way of saying love your neighbor as yourself. That, that is the path, whether we know it or not, that is the path that will take us where we want to go as a planet. How we transform all pain, forms of pain into love to take the anger and the grief and fear, how we do that is to give up our own personal agendas, our idols, our long-held beliefs, our virtues, our ideas about how to get it right, and just be open to that present moment and to feeling what it brings. Robert Kennedy, the Zen master who came here this year, says that transformation happens silently and beyond our consciousness. In other words, we're not really in control of the change that affects at the deepest point. It is something that goes on quietly in our hearts, and it requires both faith and trust in order for it to happen. And this is where personal transformation links to spiritual practice. You know, we're always quick to respond, but the ability to have our pain and to see how we transform it into love and and how we make that effect in the world is something we take into our personal practice you experience it, you enable it to come out. What if you responded by listening to your wife and husband or holding them? What if you responded in that way, by responding to your neighbour in a way that diffused the problem around the garden hedge rather than exacerbating it, by not responding to another country's aggression with more aggression? I once uh, was in a cab with a driver who was so rude to me, it was beyond belief. He was... I'm awful. And at the end of the cab ride, I gave him his $20. And for a tip, I added an extra $40, thanking him for his service. And you should have seen the look on his face, you know. (laughs) It was like putting hot coals on him, but something in there. (laughs) So you transform your pain in your spiritual practice. That's the engine room that allows us to create love in our lives. It is where we bring the divine in, in our practice. And that turns the base metal of pain into the, emotion, into the gold of love. That it is emotional alchemy. We turn the pain into love. And that's the true nature of the alchemist's task and the secret of the meaning of life. Emotional alchemy is living life as an art where your materials are your thoughts and feelings and emotions You bring them together in the melting pot of the divine spirit and the result is an outpouring of love, true passion. And we have to embark on this spiritual practice with a simple trust that we're not in control, that we don't know what's going to happen. All we know is we're responding to love. And that's how the world changes, slowly and inexorably, but imperceivably to the naked eye. Just like we can't see the mountains change or the seas divide, so we cannot see our change. We transform the world slowly, imperceptibly. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus brought love to pain and that resulted in his transformation. And so we have to receive that pain in the same way. Forgive them for they know not what they do. The result will be our small contribution to reducing the anger and hatred of the world and bringing more love. And really that brings us to the celebration of Advent. That picture on the front of your service sheet is Fra Angelico's Annunciation, painted in 1450. It is the angel Gabriel visiting Mary and announcing that she's going to give birth. Mary was greatly troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. How will this be, Mary, asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and he will be called the Son of God. For no word of God can ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. She must have been terrified. And yet her answer was perfect. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be according to your word. That is the response to pain. For God is love. God is love. Wherever, wherever Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. To live in love is to live in the Spirit of God. And notice that similarity between that line, for no word from God can fail, here in Luke, and love never fails in Corinthians. To live in love, to live in the currency of the creative force of love, is to live in God. No matter what happens, no matter what happens, it never fails. For where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know now in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, living in that different world, living in that extraction world, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reason like a child. When I became a man, when I entered into love, I put away the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only in reflection as in a mirror, and then we will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall be fully known, even as I am fully known. For these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. So we open our hearts to the world. May we be willing to receive what comes our way. May we be willing to feel what we have to feel, and may we give in response our love. And may we respond to the way of the world with love, to people in pain and difficulty with love, to people in prisons, people who are suffering all over the world. May our response be a response of love. We pray for those in our community close to us, for Martha Martin, for Sophie Leighton, for Kathy Markle, for Sophie Carlon, for Virginia Newton's mother, and for all those who are suffering at this time. Amen.